I hope that everyone here who celebrates Hanukkah had a wonderful Hanukkah. Our congregation hosted so many nightly events. The end result for me is that Hanukkah went by in a blur. It had only just started and it was over. I love all of our Jewish holidays, but I find that, and maybe this is just an aging thing, they seem to come and go faster and faster. We have so many Jewish holidays. Sometimes I feel as if the number of them coming one after another um, leaves us without time to savor the meaning of each one because we always have our sights trained on the next one, or maybe that's just rabbis, you can tell me, and cantors. This week's Torah portion allows us an opportunity to revisit the High Holy Days. If you think about it, even the most intense, well-observed 10 days of repentance cannot possibly be sufficient to work out all of our personal Mishagos. That really needs to be a year-round process if we are to use part of our brief existence here on the planet to move toward the best of our better selves, which is what I think Judaism is always prompting us to do. That's why this Shabbat's Torah portion comes at just the right moment toward the very end of our secular year when we again put our emphasis on family and relationships and all those family get-togethers. The reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers is preceded by a deeply emotional and moving speech by older brother Judah, the very brother who years earlier devised the plan to sell Joseph into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Now an older, more mature Joseph, more mature Judah, pleads with Joseph for the sake of his father. And the Torah narrates that there was no one else about when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. His sobs were so loud that the Egyptians could hear. They could hear all the way to Pharaoh's palace. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still well? But his brothers could not answer him because they were so dumbfounded. Joseph said to them, I am your brother, Joseph, he whom you sold into slavery. Do not be distressed or reproach yourselves because you sold me. It was to save life that God sent me ahead of you. There are so many gifts tucked into that one Torah passage. If you do not already own an excellent Torah commentary, I always encourage you to procure one and study this passage at your leisure. And come to Torah study here for one hour, any Shabbat at 9.15 a.m. You will grow as a person from deeper Torah study. Let's pull out just a few 
useful lessons as many of us plan to spend more intensive time with family in these next two weeks. One lesson that runs counter to Western sensibilities is that in the Torah, expressing the full range of your emotions is good. Or, as pro football player Rosie Greer once sang in Free to Be You and Me, it's all right to cry. In Genesis 24, when Rebecca first saw Isaac, she was so overcome with emotion, she fell off her camel. Likewise, Genesis 29 reads like a rom-com. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, and he burst into tears. In this Torah portion, Joseph and his brothers are not only filled with emotion, they express it so loudly it reaches Pharaoh's palace. So, if there are tears and emotions in your family gatherings, don't stifle them or make fun of the person shedding them. Just hand them a tissue box, give them a hug, and listen. As important as our ability to express the full range of our emotions is our ability to reconcile with people who have hurt us, even deeply. I've lost track of the number of congregants who have shared with me that they are unable to speak with their own parent, sibling, or former friend. Each time a congregant shares their story with me, it always makes perfect sense based on their telling that there is no longer any communication. People do heartless, mean, and offensive things to one another. There is no doubt. And there are some sins that might be considered unforgivable, such as physical, sexual, or emotional sustained abuse. Sometimes the sin is so egregious and the person so unrepentant that we have no option but to put distance between ourselves in such a person. But from the stories I hear, most of us stop talking to others for difficult, painful, mean, stupid things they did to us or words they said to us. But Judaism teaches that reconciliation is possible and sometimes preferable to a lifetime of carrying a heavy burden of our justifiable anger toward a family member or friend. The thing that struck me most this time when I read, reread this Torah portion, this episode between Joseph and his brothers, and I honestly had not seen it in 50 plus years of studying the Torah, is that they never come completely clean with Joseph or with Jacob about what they actually did to Joseph. So why does he forgive them anyway? What enables him to do that? In his list of the steps needed for forgiveness in Hilchot Teshuvah, Maimonides teaches that we know someone has done Teshuvah, has truly made amends when that person has the opportunity to repeat the sin, but then takes a different course. Joseph's brothers 
are in a position to hurt their father yet again for their own gain. Instead, they demonstrate that they have matured when Judah offers his own self up in servitude, and he means it, rather than hurt their father again. What is so powerful in this passage is that when all is said and done, Jacob, at the end of all of it, is still not the perfect father. Joseph is not the perfect brother. The brothers never fully acknowledge their wrongdoing, yet the family chooses to reconcile anyway. As we think of our many relationships, let us think about that Torah option. Finally, let's not rush to next week's Torah portion without briefly pondering Joseph's theology. I'm sure he does not love the misery that his brother's actions inflicted upon him, and he suffered a long, long time as a result of what they did. Yet, after the fact, he, he looks for the good in it and concludes that the hand of God steered events and he would never have been in the position to help a nation through a famine had all of this not happened. That's a useful lesson. We should never say, it's a good thing you had that car accident, or great that you lost your job, or uh, good that you got cancer. None of these is a good thing. But difficult, unanticipated events happen to us. After they happen, we can choose our response. I do not believe in a God that causes accidents or doles out cancer. But when bad things happen to us in our lives, I do believe that we can find God. We can find hope. We can find the good. God is in the potential for a positive outcome even after a bad thing happens. So, before you get started on your Purim costume, because it is only three months away, tarry a while with the story of Joseph and his family. Honor your emotions and express them. Think about life's brevity and who you can forgive. And look for the good, look for God, even after the inevitable difficult things that can happen to any of us. Perhaps, as Joseph says, it is to save life that we are here at this moment in time. Amen.